So we are starting a series on the book of Philippians, and Philippians has, as it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful New Testament book that has a lot of themes. If you've ever studied uh, Philippians on your own, or if you heard some sermons, it's likely that you heard a lot about joy and fellowship and togetherness and cooperation. There's a lot of very positive and optimistic themes in the book of Philippians, but it really has one central purpose, and it's really captured in this verse in verse 27, chapter 1. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so we see here in Philippians really clearly articulated the, the, really the central calling of us as Christians. We're, we're called to be obedient and to walk in holiness as individuals. We're called to strive to, to love our families as husbands and wives and children, employees and employers in terms of our, our lives in the world. We're, we're called to live lives of, of, of consideration and love and, and concern for the, the world around us. But all of these things are wrapped up into the larger idea of, of an effort for the gospel to advance and to be proclaimed and to move forward in strength. Our lives are reflections of the gospel. That's why he's saying, I want you to live lives worthy of the gospel so that I know that you're standing firm as one man with one mind, with one spirit for the progress and the faith of the gospel. And there are a number of different phrases he uses throughout the book. Uh, progress of the gospel, advance of the gospel, faith of the gospel. The idea is that the gospel is this, this movement of power into the lives of people and into the world. And last week we saw from the book of Acts that the Spirit specifically directed Paul and his team to go to places where he wanted the gospel to go. And ultimately that gospel was to go to Rome, the center of the world at that time, from where it would disperse in, into all nations. And so central to... Um, the work is, is, the, is the obligation that we have in two ways to the gospel, to live it out, like this verse says. But then earlier in chapter 1, there's also this obligation that we have to speak the word, to speak the word. We've done a lot of work on what it means for us to live out the gospel in our lives. And we've been a little weak little weak in strengthening us as a church in terms of the speaking of the gospel, in terms of what, what is called evangelism. Now, there are a number of misconceptions of evangelism that, that we have and that somehow oftentimes kind of uh, prohibits or inhibits our efforts. Um, we think that it's going to require an unnatural or awkward experience. So we're, we don't want to be awkward or unnatural with, with those whom we should share the gospel, and so we don't share the gospel. We don't want see people to think that we are weird. Okay, now we can do it in such a way where it's awkward and unnatural and weird, and I've done that many times, okay? But it's not, um, it's really not the dynamic that you see in Scripture as, as the way to think about evangelism. Um, we think of evangelism maybe as a one-size-fits-all method. 
and that real evangelism, excuse me, real evangelism is, is going to a people with a large group and passing out tracts and kind of cold calling, okay? That's not how the scriptures talk about evangelism from the standpoint of what a church is to engage in. We see Paul and Peter and, and men like that that are called to be these pioneering uh, evangelists, and so they'll go to new people and to new places and boldly preach. But the church has a different way of approaching evangelism. That's what we're going to be addressing in Philippians. There's not a one-size-fits-all method. And we're going to see three different ways over the next three weeks, including today, on how the gospel differently enters into the lives of people and makes a difference. Um, we think that evangelism may only occur through gifted people that are really skilled at being bold and confrontational and really clear in speech. No. It's not the those are not the only type of people that are effective in evangelism. Or we may think that the power and fruitfulness comes from skillful and effective arguments. It's not the case either. Those things may help. But they are not the guaranteed means of success in evangelism. So one of the things that we want to do in this series is to kind of get rid of some of these or all of these misconceptions that hinder our efforts to evangelize and to look at, to look at how Philippians is, is calling and instructing the church to be witnesses in the world. And so the next three weeks, we're going to look at uh, three different stories of three different individuals in Philippi that, that are all confronted with the gospel, but in different ways. So we're going to look at the, the who's, who, who is responding to the gospel, and we're going to look at how they are responding to the gospel. And so today we have the woman Lydia. Now Lydia, oops, excuse me, Lydia, as Laura read, we have essentially two verses on her. And let me go, let me go back to it real quick. And just One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So that is the only information in all of Scripture that we have about this woman, Lydia. She's never mentioned again. But there are a number of things that these that these few and short verses reveal. And the first one that I want to show you um, is, is Lydia as a household head. Lydia as a household head. All right? Now, typically, and from, certainly from biblical religion, household heads were typically the men. All right? But she clearly is functioning as a household head. She doesn't go home and ask her husband hey, can I bring some men over to the house and stay with us for a while, which you'd anticipate uh, if you had a spouse. But she's the household head. She invites them right there. Um, so she's most likely a widowed woman. It wasn't uncommon in Roman culture for uh, men to be 10 or even 20 years older than their wives, and it was very common for the men to die off earlier than their wives because of that age difference, or it was very common for, for men to die early because of engagement in warfare. So it's most likely that she's widowed, possibly divorced. It's not clear. The text doesn't say. She has children. She has a whole household that gets baptized. Or 
at least people that she's responsible for living with her. And she demonstrates leadership in her household. So at this point, we understand her to be a household head. Second thing I want to bring up is that she's a businesswoman. She's a businesswoman. She traded in purple goods, which generally meant that she sold cloth that had been dyed in purple. Now, if you were reading this as a, a first century person living in the city of Philippi or in the network of Paul's churches where the book of Acts went to, you would immediately recognize that anyone that sold or traded in purple goods, you immediately knew that they were a, a, a wholesaler or a retailer in luxury items. This was, a, this was an enterprise that was tightly controlled by the emperor. And you had even, we don't know if, if, if Lydia fits into this as well. In fact, if, if there were kind of two types of purple dye. There were purple dye, there was purple dye that they would extract, okay, from the rear ends of snails, okay? This was an extremely um, effective, beautiful purple dye that was uh, very disgustingly obtained. It's very expensive because of the process, and it only got deeper and richer in the cloth that it was embedding uh, as time went on. The more you washed it and the longer it went on, the deeper the purple got. And that trade of purple was highly restricted, and you had to be a member of Caesar's household, which meant if you were any one of the thousands of slaves that Caesar had, you were in his household. And so many of the traders in purple dye were members of Caesar's household because he controlled all of the trading with that particular purple dye. Now, there was also a cheaper and expensive, or I should say, less expensive purple dye from Thyatira. All right, it was made in a different process. It wasn't as time-consuming. It wasn't expensive. It's most likely that Lydia was one of these, a, a trader in purple cloth from this less expensive process. But regardless, it meant that she was in contact, frequent contact, with the wealthy and the elite of their culture. All right, so she was not just a, a regular businesswoman. She was a, a businesswoman that was selling to the, the high end of the culture from an economic perspective, which meant then that she was a woman of means. All right, it wasn't, she, she wasn't among the elite aristocracy with great holdings of land and a lot of wealth and assets, but she was wealthy. She had her own household. She had her own business. And it's, it's interesting to get into some of the history where you know, these two or three verses reveal a lot because there was about a hundred-year period because, because of, 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 of Rome and some of the challenges that it was facing in terms of um, population. They were experiencing a decline in population in terms of their native Roman people, their Roman citizens. And, and some of the reasons for the decline is that obviously women were not having children. Uh, people were not getting married. And so the government incentivized marriage. They would pay people to get married. They would pay people to have kids. And if you're aware, that kind of discussion is happening in Europe and America uh, because there's a concern of population decline. There aren't enough people to fill the jobs that we're going to need. 
And so they were doing these kinds of things back then. And one of the, and one of the, the incentives that the government promoted was that if a woman would have three or four children, <laughs> she was able to own a business and hold assets under her own name and not the name of her husband or not the name of her father. Okay, so this is, these are early days of women's liberation, okay? It's progress. We would still think it's oppressive, but back then it was progress. So an aspiring woman who wanted to do business and make money, especially if she was a widow and in an unstable, insecure economic situation because she was a widow, and if she's had children, she could start and hold her own business and have assets and become quite wealthy independently. And she was an immigrant. She was an immigrant. She's from Thyatira, which was in Asia Minor, around Ephesus and some of those other cities. And so it seems like she saw an opportunity in Philippi. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony, and it sat right on the main east-west trade route between Rome and its eastern provinces. And so there was like this one major interstate. And it was just north of the Aegean Sea there. And it was the way that people would go. All the interstate traffic would go on this one road. All right, in the States, we have, you know, a number of interstate interstates and freeways and highways to go east and west and north and south. There was one road. And Philippi was right on that road. And she had skill and a, a network and resources for selling purple goods and so she moved her business buys a house buys a storefront in philippi as an immigrant and made a lot of money and we also know that she's a worshiper of god now luke has two phrases that he uses in his gospel and in the book of acts that describe these these men and women who seem to have some sort of a, a knowledge of or relationship with the God of the Bible. He communicates it in a way that it's not just worshiper of God, worshiper of any God. There are those categories of well, and this doesn't fit into it. These are people that have some sort of understanding of the biblical God, of biblical religion, but there is lacking in them an understanding of, of Jesus Christ, a lack of understanding about the whole purposes and plan of God, um, but she is at some point in the way of becoming a true follower of God. We don't know at what point, but she holds to the biblical God to some degree, but lacks some knowledge. And so here we, we have, and it's important to, to think about these three different types of people as the gospel progresses in the city of Philippi. Here is a woman that would be on the progressive end of things, all right? She's on the progressive end of things. She holds a lot of assets. She's wealthy. She's an independent businesswoman, right? Which was not what the majority of the culture had, all right? And one of the things that we can have is a misconception or a fear is in our own culture when it seems to be becoming less and less conservative, less and less away from God, so to speak. You know, we, we don't have prayer in our schools anymore. We've got people that don't respect the flag. And, you know, more and more people are becoming the nuns and more and more people are leaving the churches. And so we can kind of develop this fear 
that the people around us aren't going to receive the gospel. Christianity has already had its chance, and they don't want to hear it anymore. What's the use in sharing the gospel? But the scriptures actually portray a little bit different image. Progressive-minded people in the cities are actually the people that Paul has the most fruit with. It's the people that are more liberally minded, not so closed in their opinions, that seem to have a greater respect for and a willingness to consider the claims of the gospel. So it's not unlike our day. I want to read this, uh, this short quote from Richard Ascoff, who wrote this book. It's this wonderful little book called Lydia. It's a whole book on Lydia. they got three verses in the Bible, and this guy writes an entire book on this woman. Lydia, Paul's cosmopolitan hostess. The consequences of Augustan legislation for the rise of the new woman in Rome and the deployment of that image across the empire created conditions of relative freedom for many women. Living in one of the most Romanized of all the urban centers outside the capital, Lydia would have been exposed to and influenced by these new opportunities for women. There are cultural movements taking place in the Roman Empire. She's on the forefront of it. We have a lot of movements going on in our world and a lot of people in our lives that are on the forefront. We just got done spending three months looking at identity, sexuality, and gender. These aren't necessarily cultural movements that are heading towards greater openness to, to uh, or, or excuse me, a greater obedience to God. These are economic and legal freedoms that she was experiencing, same types of thing that's happening in our own culture that doesn't close people off from the gospel. And so one of the things that we need to counter is a fear that progressive urban people don't want to hear the gospel. It's a lie. Now, there may be a lot of progressive urban people that don't want to hear the gospel. But there are a lot of progressive urban people that are going to be open to the gospel. There are going to be a lot of closed conservative people that don't want to hear the gospel. But there are going to be a lot of closed conservative people that do hear the gospel. Right? The, 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 the dependence and openness to the gospel, as we see here in this passage, is dependent upon one thing. The Lord opening their hearts and people proclaiming with boldness. The second thing I want to bring up in terms of Lydia's situation and how similar it is to our day is that there are a lot of people that have backgrounds or maybe even a lot of affirmation in biblical religion, but they lack clarity or they lack knowledge. Yes, we are increasing in the nuns, the people that don't identify with a formal religion, but there are still lots of people that affirm biblical religion, that affirm the Bible. Now, they may not believe everything in it, and it may be pretty squishy, but when, you come to, when it comes down to it, they're going to say that they have some faith in the Bible, all right? and they may not be able to defend it, and they may not be like 100% there, but that's where their roots and foundations are at. There's some foundation. There's some knowledge. 
Some of it, and, and, and there's an appearance of, of monotheism, but in their effort to not to say no to anybody and appeal to our, our secular-minded, pluralistic world, they're going to they're gonna say, yeah, I affirm the Bible, but truth is up to others as well. Okay, so the, you're going to find a lot of these contradictions, but for many people, there's a lot there. They know of Jesus, and they'll say that he's the Son of God, but they don't know Jesus. See, we can know of him, but not know him. And so what we're called to do is help people to not just know of him, but know him, to know him. And that's, when, that's what Paul did. He came into this, this context, and Lydia is praying with another group of women out by the river, outside the city walls of Philippi. She's got some knowledge of God. She may even have some knowledge of Messiah, as it was common that the apostles were running into. They just hadn't known he came yet. They didn't know how to believe in him. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to believe. They had knowledge of him, but they didn't know him. And so we have a lot of people in our lives. They're churchgoers. They're, they're churchgoers to Christian churches. And, and what we've done a lot in, our, in the past decades of of conservative Christianity, evangelicalism is fundamentalism, we've kind of written them off because they've left the gospel, so to speak, or they've left the word of God as absolutely true. And in a lot of cases, and institutionally, that is absolutely the truth. But within the churches on an individual level, there are people there that still have a sense that they need to follow God, that the Bible is communicating something about God, and they've had not, they haven't had the good teaching, and they haven't had the people that have clearly explained to them the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how all of the scriptures, all of the scriptures point to him. And that's another really tremendous asset of this class that I, that I talked about earlier, is that it helps you start anywhere in the Bible and get to Jesus Christ. And if people bring up oppositions about Jesus from the Bible, you can help them see the context for those strong passages, like why would God uh, command genocide? Well, it's a hard question that we're not going to address this morning. But if you understand the context of those stories and the mercy that God showed those nations for centuries and that these nations were sacrificing children by burning them, you can understand why a God who loves people will be pretty upset at a nation that's killing kids. So it's a way to, to contextualize, and that's a lot, also what a lot of people mean. Can somebody explain? So we see here in this situation that the gospel came to Lydia, obviously through the, soul, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was directing Paul and his team to this city. So we see the Holy Spirit working, and then we see Paul and his team speaking. Spirit activity, our human involvement. Somebody brought it to her, challenged her with it, explained Jesus, and then God opened her heart to heed, it's another translation of that, to heed or pay attention to, really to internalize. So we see spirit leading, we see human boldness, and then God opens hearts. Sometimes we would like God to be really clear and open the hearts on, and, and, and show us everything before we are willing to speak with boldness. And here you see 
hearts opening after bold speaking. Their spirit leading, Paul knew that he was going to have fruit because he tried to go to point A, God wouldn't let him. Tried to go to point B, God wouldn't let him. He goes to Philippi because he knows there's, there's going to be fruit there. People are asking for help there. People are in need there. So he goes and he speaks boldly in the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then in response, the woman believes because God has opened her heart. So we have to be willing to speak boldly. And we don't, we, there's no way we're going to be able to see steps 1 through 10 before we're step number 11 in bringing the gospel. We're going to see some early work of God through the Holy Spirit in the lives of people around us. And then we're going to have to speak boldly. I had this situation happen to me just recently. I was getting together with another parent who were working on some collaborative stuff with the performing arts at the high school that we're in. And, and I had heard a little bit of her and her husband's story from my daughter through her son. All right, so this isn't even direct. But they had just left the church that they were a part of for generations. And so we got together to talk about stuff, and I'd been praying for this family, been praying for her, and I was praying for me, God, give me boldness and clarity. And I determined to say something unless it was completely clear that I wasn't supposed to say something. So we met for about an hour talking about this stuff. And I said, hey, can I ask you a personal question? Because we were done with business. And she said, yeah. I said, my daughter mentioned to us that she'd been talking to your son and that you guys have just left this church. Could I ask why? And so we talked for another hour about why they left the church that they did about what they still would like to have in their life in regard to connection to scripture and people. And then she asked me my story. Because she knew I was a pastor, she had asked her son, hey, what kind of a pastor is he? I don't know, why don't you ask him? So she asked me. And so I told her my story. And I said, hey, would you like to, would you like to maybe participate in a Bible study where we're just looking at the scriptures to see what they say? And she said she'd be interested in that. So now we've got to take the next step to invite her. If we see things in this way, I think we get a lot of freedom in evangelism. We, we have to believe that the Spirit is moving ahead to draw people. We have to believe that. If we don't believe that, then it's just going to be all, all on us. And then we have to move forward in boldness, trusting that God is moving ahead, but knowing that it is our bold, clear words that are also going to stir hearts, that God is going to work through. And so there has to be faith. Our own salvation was not by our works. You know what? Other people's salvations are not going to be a cause or a result of our own works either. People are saved by the grace of God through faith. So we have to approach evangelism with faith and also obedience. Not an obedience that is motivated to earn God's favor because then that's not faith in grace. We don't obey God in order to earn God's favor. We've received God's favor and love, which is why we obey God. Because you cannot serve God in love if it is a begrudging effort to appease your conscience 
and to minimize the guilt you feel. You will never serve God out of love if, it's out of, if, if guilt is the motivation. You, you need to understand that God has come to cover your shame and guilt through Jesus and that it is gone. Obligation is gone. Working is gone. Shame is gone. When you feel and experience God removing that, then our whole life is a life of love. And when you realize that, it's like, I want to obey and serve God. That's the gospel. And so other people coming to know Christ is going to come through our faith and obedience. But not out of an obedience of obligation. It's out of an obedience of love. And the suffering that we're going to experience when people reject us, because it's going to come. We will be rejected. Jesus said we would be. The apostles said we would be. We see that in the stories. The suffering is not a consequence of us doing something wrong. The suffering is not a consequence of us being disobedient. Like oftentimes we think that if we suffer, it's because we've done something wrong. Biblically, a lot of our suffering comes because of what we do right. And so we need to expect suffering to come. But one of the beautiful things you see in Scripture, especially in the book of Acts in regard to suffering, is when people are suffering as a consequence of expressing the gospel, they're actually full of joy. The Spirit is, is, is bursting in them with joy because they, they know and the Spirit is giving them a sense of confidence in the fact that they are suffering because of Jesus Christ. And that feels good. Now, you don't want to be a fool. In your, I mean, there's a, there are dumb ways to do evangelism. And we're going to, we're going to strengthen, we're going to go through Philippians to, to be wise and winsome in our evangelism. But largely, the suffering that we experience because of rejection is just going to come because people don't want to know about Jesus and follow him. But we're also going to have people that respond. There's going to be fruit. And it's not dependent upon our skillfulness. It's dependent upon our faithfulness. Paul's having fruit here. And it came because he was obedient and faithful to God. One of the very first times I shared my faith with somebody, and this was in high school, young in the faith. I didn't know anything about evangelicalism. I didn't know anything about fundamentalism. I didn't know anything about Catholicism or Protestant. I didn't know anything about anything, literally. I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know. I didn't know that uh, people had um, <laughs> gripes against the church. I didn't have any of that stuff. I just knew that I, I knew Jesus, and I saw my friends that didn't know Jesus. And, when, and, and there was this girl named Laura, and I joined her youth group, because they invited me to participate in her youth group. And I just began to see that her life was not consistent with what she was saying and what was being taught in her youth group. It's a Presbyterian church, mainline liberal Protestant. Again, I didn't know anything about it. So I didn't go with all these fears. I didn't go in with all these insecurities about me being a, a Baptist. I didn't know what a Baptist was. I was one, but I didn't know what that meant. And I just told her about Jesus and that she needed to repent and stop sinning. I didn't even share it right. 
It was pretty much all law, and she needed to follow Jesus. But you know what? It was what she needed to realize that she really didn't know Christ. And then she believed, turned her life over to God. And when she shares her testimony to this day, she mentions this Baptist kid that had the courage to share the gospel with her. You know what? Not only was her life changed, my life was changed because of that. I learned something through that, and I experienced joy from Jesus Christ. And I was like, whoa, because at that point, as many of you know, I was headed off to aerospace engineering. That's going to be my life. I'm going to kill people with planes and missiles. And then I saw you could save people or that you could be a means through which God saved people through the gospel. And that brought more joy than a plane or a missile ever could, if you can obviously imagine that. That changed my life. Because our, our efforts to preach the gospel are not just for the people we're sharing the gospel with. It's for us. To exp- they need the gospel. We need the gospel. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. To experience Jesus in a full way, we need to fulfill the calling that he has given to us. We need to stand firm as one man with one mind and one spirit for the progress of the gospel. That means living it, and it means speaking it. Let me pray.